0: At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Amen. I always find it interesting when, uh, you know, we find in passages of, of Scripture, the times that we live in uh, echoed and reflected. I ask you to think about Uh, processions, demonstrations, protests, and so on, and you each came up with different ones. And uh, some of them were uh, statement ones, a declaration, uh, a protest. Others, uh, a memorial, I suppose, the one that Helen was talking about, the commemoration of the anniversary of the end of slavery. And sometimes they're joyful uh, celebratory declarations, just making a statement, uh, certainly back in the 80s, uh, in Edinburgh, every year there was an annual There is Hope procession um, round about Easter time, when Christians would simply uh, process along Prince Street. I'm not sure they would even allow that now. Actually, it's an interesting thought. Uh, but certainly then, it was a declaration or of, the, of the church, the visible church. At the moment, of course, we live in angry times where lots of people are uh, incensed and outraged on different sides of a Brexit debate. And we understand, and Becca was at a demonstration just along the road there in George Square yesterday, uh, that people feel very passionately and very intensely on both sides, on every side, for all sorts of reasons whether it be about uh, democracy and the question of whether our democracy is being eroded, on the legitimacy, on the desirability of Brexit, and so on. And we all have our own idea about what is the right way forward, what it would take to make uh, our nation uh, a strong, sovereign nation with a good, robust economy and opportunities for people, and so on. Well, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, it wasn't Brexit, but it wasn't far off it. In fact, we could just take the B away and say it was Rexit. How can we get out of the Roman Empire? How can we get out of the oppression of foreigners? How can we get away from being ruled and controlled by a sovereign state that is somewhere else or an empire that is outside of our identity and that we have very little control over or say in. Now, there are those, and you know, on, 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 the, on the leave side who would passionately advocate that as a position. And don't worry, this is not a political sermon. And there are others who would strenuously, strenuously resist and oppose it. Often when we think about the triumphal entry, we do so on Palm Sunday, a week before Easter. We dress it up. We make it a kid's pageant. We might even have a live donkey. It's all very fun and colorful. It's a Sunday school procession. But actually, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem had far more of the political demonstration about it than a Sunday school procession. Remember when we looked at the raising of Lazarus, we saw that it was four days in after he died that Lazarus was raised from the tomb, and that that four-day period allowed news of his death to travel, not just in in the little village of Bethany, but to the fringes of Jerusalem, and lots of people came to comfort Mary and Martha in the loss of their brother. And Jesus arrives and performs the incredible miracle of the raising of Lazarus. And so the Word, and not just the news, but the first-hand witness, and that's important, of the raising of Lazarus was an event that the people of Jerusalem could see and witness for themselves. And after all the other stuff, the news that had been building about Jesus, this miracle of the raising of Lazarus, in the community of the people of Jerusalem, after all that had gone before, gave people an expectation that this Jesus could be their king. And last week, we looked at the fact that the, the, the religious powerful people were worried that the Romans who, who allowed the, the religious leaders a certain latitude, they gave them a bit of a, bit of a leash— to run the temple and to run and maintain the Jewish religion, and they were worried that Rome was going to clamp down. Of course, we've seen clamp downs, and we know what they look like. You just have to look at the series of events over the past few weekends in Hong Kong to recognise that a, 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 a clamp down. In fact, Sandra described it when they sent the police, or when they sent the horses in. And release tear gas. Every uprising has the potential to tip over to a point where there's suddenly a clampdown of the powers that be, of the state authorities. And the Pharisees and Sadducees were terrified of the clampdown, terrified that things with Jesus would spill over such that the Romans would teach them all a lesson. And so they were quite happy and prepared to hand Jesus over to offer up one man, to to make him the the scapegoat. And so this crowd that gathered was not just the Passover crowd. This was a crowd that had a buzz about it. This was a crowd that had a bit of frenzy about it. This was a crowd that had witnessed the raising of Lazarus. And this was a crowd that was now coming effectively to present Jerusalem and to declare Jesus king. I mean, in in their hearts, this was a coronation demonstration, a coronation procession to say to the Romans, to say to anyone who could recognize what was going on that Jesus is going to be our king. Their expectation was huge. The traditional proclamation at Passover was from Psalm 118. It's the bit where it says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In fact, if you've got a paper Bible there, you'll see that that, uh, in the the versions um, uh, where the word Hosanna occurs, There's a a little C after it in mine saying a Hebrew expression meaning save, which became an exclamation of praise. And then the next one says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there's a little footnote that tells us that that's from Psalm 118 verses 25 and 26. And then the next one says, blessed is the King of Israel. And there's no little footnote after that. Why? Because it's not in Psalm 118. That was an addition. That was something that the crowd added in as Jesus came in, not just blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, but the inflammatory statement on the back of it, blessed is the King of Israel, proclaiming the King of Israel in a city that was under Roman occupation proclaiming the kingship of an individual who was now coming in on the back of a a foal, the colt, the foal of a donkey. And, of course, they knew their Scriptures well enough to know the reference from Zechariah in the Old Testament. And so everything was coming together for this procession, this declaration This sense that now, maybe just now, we've got time, or got the opportunity, rather, to overthrow Rome. And guess what? Not only uh, are are all the, you know, it's a good number of the citizens of Jerusalem on hand, and they witnessed this miracle, and if somebody can raise the dead, well, there's nothing they can't do. But of course, the numbers were swelled. The numbers were swelled by all the people who were visiting Jerusalem from the other parts of Israel— and we know that there were some Greeks there and other people as well, the numbers were swelled by Jews from all around the other nations. So, actually, we have a much bigger crowd. I had a wee look on the um, government website the other day to see what the the, the latest uh, petition numbers were for the vote against proroguing or or, um, demanding that... The uh, proroguing thing be undone. And when I last looked, it was 1.6 million, but I rather suspect it's a lot higher than that now. We were having a little chat at the table there when we were discussing processions and so on, and I met recently a young 22-year-old who works as a research uh, assistant for the Scottish Parliament, and uh, she was, you know, asking me, As a church leader, if if we, as a church and congregation, if we were aware of and engaged in what was going on in the Parliament and bills that were coming up, and and were we we active in terms of engaging with our MSPs and knowing what what was being voted and, and pushed through? And I had to confess that no, we're not really. We're not really very aware or very active. At least I'm not. I'm not sure that we are as a congregation. Maybe you are as an individual she went on to describe how there are certain pressure groups in society that are never far away from their MSPs, that are never far away from building a relationship, from uh, pressing their agenda, from taking any and every opportunity so that they fill the space with their agenda and that the other voices that take a different point of view are not heard much or even at all. See, there is apparently power in the size of the crowd, or is there? So, in this intense knife-edge expectation, and we can feel it in our society just now, we can feel this uh, uh, sense of heightened feeling About decisions that have been taken and are being taken and may be taken, and the uncertainty of what might happen in the next, what, eight weeks, and what that might lead to. We can feel the tension and the anticipation of it. And perhaps there may be anger and outrage, or perhaps there may be uh, a quiet certainty that we're taking the right course and, and this is the way that we should go. And in the midst of all of that, all of these people who were proclaiming Jesus as He came in, this crowd continuing to spread the word about how Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, and so that the Pharisees reached the end of their tether, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after Him. The things at fever pitch, we can't control it. And then we're told that there were some Greeks who came to Philip with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip told Andrew, and the two of them went and told Jesus. And so now, the thing is set to explode into other lands, amongst other peoples, into other nations. And Jesus responds not have been more at odds or different from the expectation of the people. The people wanted a king because, understandably, I suppose, we want a king or a queen or a prime minister or a ruler or a leader. There's a part of us in our uh, unredeemed state that always wants a grown-up to be in charge, that always wants there to be somebody who knows what they're doing and what's happening and who will make wise decisions and get it right. And we get caught up in that too. Sometimes it comes out of an innate orphanness. We've talked before about orphanness. That sometimes we carry in the depths of our spirits a sense of being an orphan. That we're just cast adrift on our own to make the best. And that when our earthly uh, parents go, we find ourselves in a place where we, we have to make the best of it, and we try to make the best of it. This was an angry crowd because they wanted to shape the state of Israel They were angry Pharisees and Sadducees because they wanted to control and keep in control and have their power. And we all invest a huge amount of time and effort and energy and emotion into uh, the way this world is and and how we might be uh, being oppressed or how we might be being led well or badly and so on. And if we're not careful, we can allow our fears of the state, our fears of politics, our fears of uh, the way the country is running or the way things are going to so cripple and overwhelm us that we too live out of a place of anxiety or anger, fearful uncertainty. We, in other words, live out of our orphanness, There's no one safe in charge. In the midst of all of this furore, in the midst of all of this passion and foment, in the midst of all of this uh, crippling, intense emotion and aspiration, comes Jesus on a colt full of a donkey coming to declare and fulfill the words of the prophet zechariah page. There we are. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The next verse, of course, we don't tend to read, but it says this, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. In the midst of aspirations of power, rebellion, overthrow, control, a new order, a revision of the powers. In the midst of this climate where the people were trying to make the perfect world for themselves, and they saw in Jesus an embodiment of unstoppable power, Jesus came on a colt. He did not come with anger or with passion or intensity in his heart for earthly things. He did not come with the agenda of the people raging in his heart. He did not come with an expectation of being made an earthly king and booting out the Roman Empire. He did not come with a short-term, limited vision Of what was going on now in Israel. He came instead in peace. And when he realized and heard that these Greeks wanted to see Jesus, it was a trigger for him to recognize that here is the moment. Here is the moment. The moment where if this truth, if this kingdom, is going to fulfill and achieve all that is intended to achieve, then I have to die. And that in the midst of a climate of power and authority and breakthrough, Jesus proclaimed His death. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies it produces many seeds. Seeds were now needed for the Greeks. Seeds were now needed for the rest of the world. And sometimes, of course, a thing has to die in order for it to be and become more fruitful. It's not the way of the world which believes in power and might and kingship and authority. It's not the way of the world the state or the system which is constantly trying to control and have, and yet Jesus came right into the center of all of that. He could not have been more at the center of all of that political unrest and foment, and He came in peace because He knew that He was secure in the love of the Father, because He knew that he was secure in the will of the Father, and that he could accept dying because that way he knew that the kingdom would extend and God's purposes would be worked out. He knew that the system and the power bases of this world had no grip or hold on him. He knew that by yielding to death on a cross, kingship would be established, the kingdom would come, the rule and reign of God would extend and spread to the lives of people all throughout the world. Now, we live in a society, and we play our part in it, There are democratic processes, and yes, we play our part as citizens in a society, and we have our perspective and no doubt feel passionately about it. But just recognize, just recognize over these next weeks that we are in the crowds of the triumphal entry. We are in the crowds of people passionately engaging in a process which was uh, tense and violent and divisive. And Jesus came in to the midst of all of that on a beast of humility, with an intention to bring peace, with an expectation of death, and with a certainty That by following the way of the Father, by following the way of death and resurrection, by entrusting Himself to the Father, then He would see God's kingdom established. Jesus is not concerned about Brexit in the way that we are concerned about it. Now, that's not that God doesn't care about what happens or the affairs of nations. But God's agenda, God's agenda is to see His kingdom advance, is to see and know the name of Jesus glorified and spread, and it will spread in any and every political climate. And Jesus' understanding of what was going on was very different from the crowd's. Be very tempting for us to get drawn into sides because of what we think politically. Jesus never allowed himself to be drawn into political sides at the expense of doing the will of the Father. And Jesus came recognizing that the time was now ripe. A voice came from heaven when Jesus prayed, Father, glorify your name. And some heard thunder. Others thought an angel had spoken. But the disciples at least heard a voice saying, I have glorified it and will glorify my name again. And so Jesus announced, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. In a world that is anxiously watching the rise and the fall of political systems, of what's going to happen next, of what kind of world are we living in or going to be living in, Jesus came to say, Now is the time for judgment on this world, and the prince of this world will be driven out. The systems of this world had no hold on Jesus. The systems of this world have no hold on His people. Yes, there is persecution that goes on. Yes, there are systems that continue to oppress and torture and even kill believing people. Yes, this world is not kind necessarily to the gospel or to the Christian church. But Jesus said, take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus did not engage in the way they wanted Him to, but instead He submitted to the will of the Father. Instead, He focused on the fact that He was known and loved by His Father in heaven that faithfulness to the will of the Father would trump anything that might rise or fall or get people in a frenzy. Which kingdom are you of? Because that's the kingdom that you need to live out of. Are you caught up in the frenzy that orphanness produces of thinking, there's nobody really there for me or no one that really cares. I have to make my mark, fight my corner, make my protest, do whatever. Now we have to play our part. But if it's coming out of a spirit of orphanness that says, if I don't do this, if I don't try to shape the world, no one else will. Now, it's a tension that we have to live in, how to live as citizens of society and do so responsibly and seek the greatest good and the will of God for, his, for the people. Yet carry in our hearts a sense that Jesus has pronounced judgment on this world and on the prince of this world, that Jesus was going right into the center of the system and was blowing it open so that the kingdom of God might be established there and begin its steady spread throughout the world. The times in which we live are times that will seek to bring us into high dudgeon, high alert, high panic, high anxiety. Well, Jesus went into the center of all of that in a place and attitude of peace, in a willingness to accept death in order that he might keep his life. I don't know what it looks like for you. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it. What does it mean for you to prioritize to so love God's will and purposes for you, that actually your own life in this world is second by comparison. Jesus accepted no less than death in order that He might, like a seed falling in the ground, produce a harvest. And God calls us as His people to die to ourselves and to live for Him. Jesus was able to do it because He was unflinching in His certainty of the Father's love for Him. If you call on the name of Jesus and are His, then you have the Father's love for you. You have His redemption. You have the forgiveness of your sins. You have the certainty that you belong to a kingdom and a world that is never passing away and that is undisturbed by political protest or uprest or unrest. You are part of something that will never be destroyed and will never fade away. And so as we come to take communion, as we're just about to do, we take again into our lives symbols of the death of Jesus. We take them receiving them as signs that Jesus died for our forgiveness, that Jesus died for our belonging. And we take them also as an invitation to us afresh to say to the Father, take me, show me what it means for me to die to myself, to die to what I might like, As we take the bread and the wine, we take them knowing that they are signs not just of Jesus' death, but of Jesus who lives and is alive. And so if you are anxious or afraid about the world and what is coming upon it, know that 2,000 years later, we continue to do what Jesus told us to do and experience life and resurrection. And so know that in this world, we will have trouble. But take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. Let's pray together.